Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. What's going on? <laughs> Kayla's intoxicated. We're just going to let All you right. know that now. Okay. Well, I'm Kayla. <laughs> and I'm Kristen, your co-host. Yes. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. If this is your first time here, welcome and hello. We love you so much already. And give us a chance. I know we giggle a lot, but each you got to lighten this shit up in some way. Like, period. Do you want us to be serious and play so dragging serious. down people's mood music? I'm not doing no, that. No, no. We want you guys to have a good time while you're listening to the show and also learn about some sick shit. So, are you guys ready to Now, start? for those of you who don't oh. know, Kristen, which is me, hi. I don't really <laughs> like our topic of discussions that we talk about, but <laughs> I love my sister and I think that putting myself in uncomfortable situations like this could be beneficial to me somehow, some way. Plus, I get to learn about all the crazy things that people do in life to basically make sure that I'm watchful. So yeah. I encourage everyone else who may not love the topic of discussion to do the same. And even if you yeah. do, do the same. Be watchful. Take notes. Yeah. Protect your peace, you know. This shit can get really heavy, but mm -hmm. today's case is pretty wild. We haven't covered a case like this on the show at all. So what? yeah, girl, I'm really excited. I hope you guys are excited. If you're on Instagram, y'all already know the vibes. Be ready. So yeah. do that again <laughs> and harder. You guys, Kristen is trying to drag me for <laughs> the weight that I've gained, right? And now I'm not underarm, trying to drag you. <laughs> if you're on Patreon, my underarm shake bitch like a salt shaker. And Kristen is coming. And I'm for not me. trying to drag you for it. In fact, I love it. That's why I said do it again. Do it again. <laughs> I love the jiggle. <laughs> As she jiggles like this. Oh my god. Okay, guys. Get on Patreon. What are you doing? Please. Podcast <laughs> at this point, like you're missing out. <laughs> missing out. Okay. Are you guys ready to start? No. Okay. Now we're ready. So of the 46 episodes that we've done on this show, I can't recall one episode that has taken us to Atlanta, Georgia, but that's where we're going this week. This week's case is about a crazy incident that happened at an Atlanta courthouse. And without giving you too much detail, let's just dive right into it. It's going to be crazy. So join us as we discuss Brian Nichols, the Atlanta courthouse shooter. Ooh. <laughs> nice. I winged that, y'all, because yeah, I, that was nice. I forgot I forgot to write um <laughs> intro. But hey, that fuck was it. nice. I was cute and to the point. Thank you. Straight up. So Brian Jean Nichols was born on December 10th, 1971, in Baltimore, Maryland. Kristen, hmm. since our case happened in Atlanta, Georgia, you're gonna do some black history for us from Atlanta, right? Yes, I am. I was about to say, you did not tell me nothing about Baltimore, Maryland. So, 
Y'all, we're in ATL. This is the first time that we've ever even talked about being in the ATL region, any of that on the show, which is very crazy because ATL, aka Atlanta, is also known as the Black Mecca. So, (laughs) let's get into it. Um, Also, hold on, Kristen. So sorry. Before Kristen gets started, my man actually requested this case. He remembered it from like his childhood. He was in middle school. He remembers how the school got shut the fuck down, bitch, in in a blink of an eye. He also remembers when Gucci got shot by Jeezy's, uh, you know, that hitter that Jeezy sent to Gucci. And he said that shit happened right across from his school and they shut the shit down too. So it was crazy. My man was in the thick of it. So I was like, let me do this case for him. Thank you, Terrell, for sharing this case with us. Terrell, Mm -hmm. my brother-in-law, I love you slash cannot stand your ass. Shout out to you. you. So let's get into it. So I kind of did a dive into the structure, the neighborhood structure of ATL back in the 70s and even way before then. And you know, for me, like I have to give you pretext before I give you the context of the 70s. So Atlanta, you guys, was known for a whole bunch of things after the civil rights movement. That includes having some black stores. You had black people actually living in predominantly white neighborhoods. Things like that was happening right after or soon after um, the civil rights movement. Mm. But then something happened in Atlanta called the Atlanta Race Riot. And that happened in 1906. And basically, some of the black people that were living in white neighborhoods and the black businesses that were actually in the downtown area and in white areas had to move. They were forced out of where they were because a lot of violence was happening towards black people at that moment. So they decided to take their businesses and move elsewhere. Majority to, I think, believe it was South Atlanta and a little bit of West Atlanta. After the race riots, things like Jim Crow laws came into Atlanta and black people were being hindered from buying property and real estate in certain areas. So they could not um, basically build their business in areas that would accommodate them and be good for them. So Mm. they were forced to other areas in the city of Atlanta. Now, one thing I want to mention specifically Mm. is that in 1920, the city prohibited black owned salons from serving white women and children. Hmm. Also, what happened was blacks were subject to this, this. It's called the South's racial protocol, which basically says you have to give special respects or pay special respects to your white people, your white counterparts. A.K.A. you can kiss my motherfucking ass, bitch. But Sorry. instead, <laughs> they were forced or more likely supposed to say things like sir to a white man and ma'am to a white woman as a grown black person yeah hella Um, diminishing hella disrespectful hella condescending oppressive all of that it's just rude you're treating me like a child but this was the nature of that now in 1950s basically the ordinance in atlanta told the real estate arena that you can no longer discriminate against black people that you have to allow them into your homes. You have to allow them to buy certain land, things like that. They created this ordinance, but that didn't stop anything because right. instead white people took the approach of just harassing 
and hazing black people to prevent them from buying certain properties and things like that. Yep. But they did finally reach a moment where black people were now moving from the city to the suburbs because some places black people were actually Relative. buying homes. Yeah, exactly. This also led to white people selling their homes and moving other places and so far and so forth. Now, in the 1960s, that's when Martin Luther King, his organization, his movement, they had a heavy impact and a heavy presence in Atlanta at that time. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. sang at the gala as a part of the children's choir of his father's church, Ebenezer Baptist. And that was going on in Atlanta. Well, I just wanted to say after that, something happened in the 1970s, but I'll, I'll sum it up because I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, so basically, we all know Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King Jr. had a huge impact on us. And it actually, they, he, their movement had a huge impact on Atlanta as well. So the fact that we know Atlanta as this black mecca, this place where black politicians, rich, wealthy black people, young black professionals can go and thrive. Mm -hmm. wasn't that wasn't always the case for Atlanta that they generally struggled with race just like every other part of the United States so that was just a little glimpse into the history of Atlanta it had nothing to do with the 1970s I'm gonna keep it real it was everything before the 1970s so <laughs> well that cool. was my segment nice so it sounds like what all cities in America were going through around that time hello yeah. racism but yeah. that's okay because so, they're making strides. <laughs> yes, and it's 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 we should appreciate where Atlanta is now because of our crazy crazy past. Right, right. Cool. Shout out to Atlanta. All right. So back to the nitty gritty. So Brian G. Nichols was born in Baltimore, Maryland, to his parents Jean and Clathera Clathera Nichols. And the couple was doing really well for themselves. So this is kind of out of the ordinary for what we're used to our killers experiencing. So his mother worked for the IRS. Gotta hate him. <laughs> and his <laughs> Okay. And his father owned multiple small businesses. So he basically Ooh. grew up middle class, had things that he wanted. Totally different from most of our killers that we cover here. Right. Completely different, actually. Brian had one other sibling, a brother named Mark, that he was super close to when they were growing up. Like me and you, Pooh. Mm, stink. Mm. Brian played football at Cardinal Gibbons High School while also becoming an expert at martial arts. So, mm. yeah, he seems like he's not wasting his life, you know, yeah. at this point. Yeah, it seems like he has some passions that he's trying to, like, yeah. explore. Mm -hmm, figure some shit out. Mm -hmm. He played so well as an out, outside linebacker that in 1989, he was awarded entry to Cutson University, which is located in rural Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. basically, yeah. So this is the first college that he attended because he did go to another one. But here he seemed to really flourish and make a lot of good relationships with his teammates and his coaches mm -hmm. and stuff. His mm -hmm. high school coach said, quote, Brian was a physical specimen like you wouldn't believe. Oh, wow. Right? It's a bit much, but he might right. have been. <laughs> a bit creepy. A specimen. A spe like he's not a human at all. That's how, but you know how like white people used to talk about like jimmies and stuff? They used to, oh, that's a. That's Check a, his teeth and all yeah. that extra stuff. 
<laughs> I don't think he meant it that way, but hey, who knows? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Brian was six one and two hundred and ten pounds. So Good he God was almighty. He was he was stacked and jacked, you know, and ready to smack some niggas on the field. And <laughs> and I hate to say he could have attracted me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming, y'all. Kristen is hot in the pan. No. Hold on. Hold on. If you're single, ready to mingle and make it jingle, hit up Kristen. Okay. Don't do that. I am saved and sanctified, and I'm not looking for just a peen. Okay. You got to love the Lords. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Take that out. I can't. No, no, we're not. I'm not. We're having too much fun. His high school football coach also compared him to a man named John Mobley, who was a Cutson alum that went on to play in the NFL. Mm. Mm-hmm. He, so he, he must have been a big boy. He compared his like physique and the yeah. way that he looked to this guy. And I'm if you're on Patreon, you can see this guy right now. And <sighs> there we go. I was waiting for Kristen's reaction. <laughs> Get off me. You know I love a fine chocolate man. And he is fine. <laughs> yeah, he's smiling directly at you. So yeah, Why, he the- <laughs> Why would you do this to me? He's looking right at me. Okay. Well, he, he played for the Broncos, which is one of my favorite teams for a while. And yeah, so good for him. But good for so him. He, so Brian was compared to that man. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Brian majored in biology at this school, so he's clearly smart. Yeah, like most most football majors is communications or go. like some public silly relations, stuff. Yeah. something hella easy, you know, hella just that they're like, not going to use mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. But he was also known to run into some issues on campus. He'd get into fights with older students, but according to one of his teammates, he rarely started them. Quote. He was a bad dude. You didn't mess with him, but he wasn't a bully or an intimidator. He was a good ball player, but he was no troublemaker. Aww. So I I read in multiple places that he was considered to be a troublemaker, but I'm not really sure there is. Mm, I don't know. I don't know what type of guy he was. If you're getting in fights and stuff, you're honestly, obviously not scared to fight. You're obviously mm-hmm. with the shit. So I guess you could be considered a troublemaker to an extent, but maybe he, that just wasn't him overall at the time. Right, right. Like maybe he had a tr- his troublemaking moments, which in college, right. who didn't? Who the fuck didn't? Mm-hmm. But Brian would only make it to his sophomore year at this school because he was arrested three times mm-hmm. for misdemeanor charges like disorderly conduct, simple assault, harassment, and making terroristic threats. Okay, so, so he was so, a troublemaker. <laughs> well, thank you. I was about to say, so when he gets into these fights, he's threatening people's lives? Like, I'm confused. He's taking it back to Baltimore, like, yeah. as if he lived on the streets or was near the streets where he knew a Bitch, little I'm something. Bitch, I'm from B-more, ho. You don't want to fuck with me, ho. You know, I'm from the 301. I'll pull out the stick, ho. <laughs> I don't, arm know. I don't know. Guys, it's I don't the know. arm jiggle for it's me. The- all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. But yeah, so he's definitely a troublemaker or maybe like when things happen, he loses his stuff more than the other person. So it's kind of like coming off as like, okay, so he was the troublemaker just because he's being more flagrant than the others. Yeah. Maybe he's a little bit more unhinged. You know, like once you get mad, it just sets him the fuck off and he just just blacks out. He sees red. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I can relate. 
So he pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct and harassment, but never spent any time in jail. And the other charges were, you know, dropped. He eventually enrolled into Newberry College, which is a college in South Carolina. And he played football. Yeah, it's really pretty. He played football there as well. He's going to nice universities or colleges. Yeah, it looks like there's definitely some money behind it. That field is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But he was asked to leave <laughs> after stealing audio equipment from a dorm room. Oh, come on. You can't bring that hush up in college. <laughs> come on. What you, you stealing can't be stealing her. shit. You can't be right. stealing shit. So, yeah, they kicked his ass out. And... Honestly, didn't seem like it hurt him too much as far as his success and what he was able to do. In 1995, he moved to... In 1995, he moved to the Atlanta area. ATL ho! ATL ho! (laughs) (laughs) I've never been to Atlanta. I need to go. (laughs) I've been one time, and it was literally overnight. Like, we didn't stay. (laughs) Well... Either way, he moved to Atlanta where he got himself a job working for HP. Yes. Okay. Like the computer company. Yeah. And he was a Unix system engineer. What? Okay, pause. I knew it. I knew it. First of all, people go to four-year colleges just to be able to work at HP. And you mean to tell me he was able to work there not finishing school, yeah. having a rep. I don't know if he was underage at this time or what, but like, Mm-mm. if they do a background check on him, they're going to see a spreadsheet of right. things going on. And he was still able to get in. I I'm, don't know. I don't know how the fuck he was able to pass that disorderly conduct and harassment. Like, I feel like they would be like, whoa, red fucking flag. But who knows? His parents though? must have connections. Must okay. have had. Maybe. Maybe. But he worked at HP for eight years. Wow. And after he left, he got himself a job working for UPS as a computer engineer. So I don't know where he got all of these skills and this education from to do difficult jobs like this, but he's doing the damn thing. And I ain't mad at him. I really am not. Not yet. But Mm -hmm. during this, (laughs) during his time at HP, he was arrested again on a marijuana charge and will be put on probation from 1996 to 1999. Eh. So our guy had a thing for the guy getting in trouble. The ganja and getting in trouble, yes. I'm like, the ganja, I understand. <laughs> like, I'm not even mad. But I cop a charge. I take the charge. You know what I'm saying? Thank God we have not, but we definitely should have had a charge. He joined UPS in March 2004, but left only five months later because of another run-in with the law. But this time, his charges would be much, much worse. Oh, my gosh. He just can't he- help himself. Like, how? He- first of all, how are you hot boy like you are one black man in a city of black people how are you hot boy enough to get caught up especially with a ganja charge i don't know girl i don't know what the fuck his life was looking like but we're kind of gonna get a glimpse into it maybe his tents were too dark oh kristen that shit's real okay it is so before we go any further i want to preface some things so at this point in the timeline we are in 2004 okay Brian has had a child named Jasmine in 1992 with a woman named Stephanie J. So he's already a father. I don't know if he's a good father, but he's fathered a child. 
So stay with me. According to my research, shortly after Brian moved to Atlanta, he met a successful corporate executive woman that he started a relationship with, and they like eventually moved in together. According to his brother, Brian was driving a BMW. Him and his woman were going to church, like they were church going, everything. He was making six figures, bitch. Just living the best life, living a life. Mm -hmm. But in April of 2004, this woman and Brian broke up briefly. But then they started to date again during the summer. So while they were broken up, Brian got another woman pregnant. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was quick. You know, you know how this be. And <laughs> her name was Sonia Meredith, and they would go on to have a son together. Hmm. So at this point, remember, he's back with his girlfriend. So after she found out that he has a child on the way, she was understandably pissed off and just decided to break up with his ass for good. Okay. He good for her. It. Yeah, good for her. But he wasn't with it. Not surprising. And shortly after, she started dating a man named Chris Roll Roll Um Chris R. And he was one of the ministers at the church they were going to. Oh my gosh. Stop. I mean, she's not in the wrong for doing that. At that point, she was no longer with this man. So of course she's gonna move on. But I think it's just kind of like a lot of embarrassment attached to that too. Like, bitch, we went to this church together and now you're hooking up with somebody that, you know, it's just like a slap in the face. Yeah. Especially if he still goes to the church. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) So when Brian found out, he fucking lost it. On two occasions in August, he confronted Chris in front of his ex-girlfriend's apartment. So Chris was visiting his woman and Brian shows up giving him grief, right? Mm Mm-hmm. After Brian threatened to kill himself, his ex-girlfriend wrote his mom an email saying, like, among other things, quote, things between Brian and I are spiraling out of control, end Mm. quote. Early on the morning of August 19th, 2004, Brian forced his way into his ex-girlfriend's house, bound her with duct tape at gunpoint, and sexually violated her. You guys know what I mean when I say sexually violated. It's the R word. I just fucking hate it. Thank you for not saying it, one. Yeah. And two, are you joking me? <laughs> How dare you? She moved on. Piss off. Like, Piss the fuck you off. had a whole baby by another person. Did you think she was going to be there for you when you got back? Oh, wait to. Oh, oh, you just wait, Kristen. You just wait. And then you so, have the audacity to violate her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right. somebody needs to throw Dukes with Brian. Somebody needs to fuck this nigga up. All right. Period. He was charged with rape, aggravated assault with intent to rape, aggravated sodomy, burglary, false imprisonment, and possession of a firearm during commission of a crime. AKA lock his ass up forever. What are we having this conversation about? Not sure. Wow. Thankfully, he was held without bail. So he was just in prison until the time for his trial. And his first trial, yes, his first one, you guys, began on February 21st, 2005, and he testified in his own defense. So Ash Joshi, which was the assistant district attorney who cross-examined Brian, said, quote, from a defense perspective, he was a very good witness. He would take my question and then turn toward the jury and give them the answer, the way you would teach a witness to do it. He, he was ain't stupid. Car- 
<laughs> he was a charismatic individual, end quote. And the thing that is so funny when I hear these people talk about criminals, they expect criminals to be dumb. Like they mm -hmm. expect them to n not have any wits about them or even try to stay out of jail. But listen, ego is a big thing with criminals. Like they think they're popping. They think they're hot shit. And if they're any sliver of remotely smart, they're going to fuck with you. You know, and, like and they're going to try to rub that shit in your face. <laughs> and that is a fact. And this man has been able to maneuver through corporate world yeah. and all that stuff undetected. You know, yeah. like he has some wits about him. He knows how to conduct himself around people. While testifying, Brian acknowledged his anger towards his ex-girlfriend's new relationship. He testified, quote, there's a section of the Bible that talks about qualifications for a pastor. It says that a pastor should be blameless, you know, a person not covetous, merciful, end quote. Like, bitch, okay, and, and we, you know how many pastors we, we hear about playing with boys and, you know, doing all this fucked up shit. And moreover, <laughs> and moreover, you're mad at Chris the whole time you take it out on the woman. You went and assault her. You didn't assault Chris, which she Thank had you. every right to move on from you. Right. Don't piss me off with these elf looking ears, Brian. <laughs> Beta male energy, bitch. You know, sure. if you come for a female for choosing better for herself, you're a weird ass like motherfucker. Right. But the main point he wanted to make sure he made clear on the stand was that the sex was consensual. He said, quote, we ended up being intimate. It was her consent, you know, which is why we're here. And, you know, huh? let me say this. As a man, I'll never put my hands on a woman. Okay, goodbye. Like, goodbye. nobody believes you. I'm looking into your eyes, bitch. You're a liar. Look at you. I can't trust you. I don't. I won't. So the jury could not agree on a verdict. I don't know. Ha, ah, ow. Well, did she testify? You. Hold on. Hold the phone. I couldn't find out if she testified or not, but I do think I know why the jury was like, well, you know, I don't know. And it's because probably there are a lot of men on this jury. Let's be real. And then mm -hmm. also because he's so articulate, because he yes. holds himself so well. Yes. Like back then, and even today, I don't know why the fuck it's so hard for people to understand. It doesn't matter how much money I make or what job I fucking have or how long I spent in school, bitch. I can still be a violent attacker, a violent rapist, a violent murderer. Yes. And people need to realize just because someone is nice to your face does not mean that they are the same way to everybody. Period. 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 So 64-year-old Judge Roland... Barnes ordered a retrial, which began on Monday, March 7th of 2005. And this time around, the prosecution called more witnesses and they just generally, generally felt more prepared to win the case. Brian even told the DA, the assistant DA, Ash Joshi, two days later that, quote, you're doing a much better job this time. Oh, wow. Which, like, don't patronize me, you fool. I'm trying to lock you up for the rest of your life. <laughs> like he is bold there's a uh arrogance about this man that if it wasn't from a person who actually did something to somebody to hurt them i would steam it attractive oh god well it's a it seems like a crippling narcissistic mm. personality but Let also take notes <laughs> but we're gonna get we're gonna get into it more like toward the end 
mm-hmm. we'll see more of like why he did what the fuck he he's about to do. Mm-hmm. So this antagonistic like little banter may have just been a way of distracting the prosecution because as soon as Brian learned that he would be retried, he started telling people, quote, I'm not going to go lying down, end quote. So some of his friends that weren't in prison even warned the DA's office that he might try to escape and how he even requested that, like when they give him a suit to wear, that they leave Mm -hmm. a credit card in that suit jacket. Oh, yes, bitch. So he could literally escape and like be on the run and be, you know, have money. His own mother emailed (laughs) the Fulton County Sheriff's Office a week before his new trial date to tell them she believed Brian planned to take an officer's weapon. So he's Stop. been like popping the fuck off at the mouth about what he's about to do. And they're trying to warn these people. <laughs> Heads like, up. You might want to keep an extra eye on this man. Specifically my son. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> this heck? This man, my son, yes. Two days before the trial started, or two days into the trial, I don't know which one because I read two different ways, deputies found Two shanks in Brian's shoes. Two shanks, y'all. The next morning, Judge Barnes brought the lawyers into his chambers to talk about like how the fuck they were going to even deal with behavior like this. Mm -hmm. And Assistant DA Joshi said, quote, when that verdict comes out, the judge said he wanted nothing on the defense table. No pens, no pencils, nothing that could be used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. But the sad part was we mistakenly thought that once we got the shanks away from him, his plot had been foiled, end quote. Ooh. A huge, huge mistake. Oh, my gosh. So here we go. At 8.30 a.m. on Friday, March 11th, an hour before Brian's trial was scheduled to resume, Judge Barnes, who was described as a popular, friendly judge, was in court hearing another motion for another case. Richard Robbins, a lawyer in court that day, described how he was speaking with Judge Barnes and, quote, Then I heard a loud sound. Nichols, which is Brian, Nichols had come into the courtroom and shot the judge. (gasps) Huh? Just shot him. Where did he get the gun? How did he come into the room before his case? What happened? You're asking a lot of questions that we're not at yet. We're going to get there. He then shot the court reporter. But I honestly don't have a memory of seeing him do that. The first thing I have a memory of is seeing the judge slump over. I knew he was dead. Then Then Nichols was standing right in front of me. I remember thinking he was very nice looking. He looked like a law clerk. Sorry, law clerk. Not the usual kind of thug you see around the courthouse, which, like, okay, sir, relax. Right. With that thug <laughs> word, okay? I felt like triggered. You're sounding a little discriminatory. <laughs> I felt triggered. Okay. And I remember thinking, he's going to kill the prosecutor, too. And I am at the prosecution table. He had this totally calm, methodical look on his face. But there was no point in lying down or hiding. I thought, he's going to shoot me next. End quote. Oh, my gosh. Kristen. So he walks in. Mind you, we're going to get into, like, the details, details of where it started, how it happened, everything. So I'm just going to 
I'm just going to finish this eyewitness statement and then we're going to get into the breakdown. Quote, I ran straight ahead right here to one of the sky bridges to the new building. Nichols didn't follow me. He turned left and went down the stairs. As I was running in one direction, I saw a deputy running after Nichols to the stairs. That was Hoyt Teasley. And Nichols killed him when they got to the sidewalk. Come on. How is this man doing this? Where did he get the gun? No, Hoyt. Yeah, Hoyt. Rest in peace, Hoyt. What the fuck? Okay, all right. I told you guys this case is just ridiculous. So let's keep going. When I got to the new tower, I pushed through a locked security door like it wasn't even there. After about an hour, I realized that I had broken my hand on it. Oh, wow. Can you imagine like being in such a fucking terror and running for your life? You don't even realize that you broke your hand like. Girl, this shit is hella scary and it could happen like an itty at any, any time, any moment, anytime, anybody. You could be in the store in Ross dealing with a crazy mother effort that's about to Ross. be unhinged. I'm screaming literally, though. No, like seriously. So we've covered a lot in like that small time yet. span. So let's back up. Okay, let's back up. (laughs) So remember when Judge Barnes and the prosecution agreed that Brian would have more security around him when he would be brought into court? Well, somehow on this day, Brian was only being escorted in by one female deputy. Okay? She must have been a bad mama jamma, or they thought that she was. Cause that, or they just, that means nobody was listening to the judge. (laughs) Like nobody cared what he had to say. And while he was attacking Cynthia, her little cute self, most of the attack was caught on surveillance cameras. So in the courthouse, obviously they have cameras and obviously they have people that are supposed to be monitoring, monitoring them. But that did not happen in this case. No one was watching the cameras. So no one saw Cynthia Hall literally being beaten by Brian. And let wow. me tell you. So this was around 8:45 when Brian attacked Cynthia. She was removing his cuffs so he could change his clothes to get into like clothes that you know he was supposed to wear to court. And when mm-hmm. that happened, he basically just started beating her. He punched her so hard that she actually came up off of the ground. Wow. Yes. And he was just kept hitting her, kept hitting her till she was basically unconscious. And then he stole her gun belt and retrieved her other gun that she had in her lockbox. So he's strapped at this point. Like he knows exactly what to do. Yes, he is completely strapped at this point. He changed his clothes. And then I'm going to show you guys right now kind of a the path that he took because he ran across like the sky walk mm-hmm. into the next building and he ran right toward where the judge's chambers were. And that's how he was able to access the actual courtroom. Mm-hmm. Now, before he even accessed the courtroom, there were people in the judge's chambers. So he had to subdue them. He had to subdue their their names were included, but I just didn't I decided not to include them. But there were three people that he held hostage and demanded Mm -hmm. that they tell him where the judge was. He was looking specifically for Judge Barnes. He then goes and takes another deputy hostage because the deputy like entered the room and he took him hostage, brought Mm -hmm. him into the room, took his gun and then 
that's when he entered into the courtroom. Judge. Oh my gosh. And did what he did. So he killed the judge and then 46 year old Julie Brando. Um, that was the court reporter. And he shot the judge once in the back of the head. The judge didn't even see him enter the courtroom. And then he shot Julie one time when she tried to stand up and check on the judge. Like she tried to make sure he was okay. And he just shot her in the head one time. Girl. Girl. I can't. Oh, this is horrible. He didn't even see his killer coming. He's doing his job like normal. Yep. Yep. And the, the scary part is I, I honestly didn't even remember the case being this horrible when I was researching it. Like, this case is bad, and I think with the graphics, not the graphics, the video and, you know, stuff that we do have in pictures, it just really hones it in. Like, this nigga was walking around this courthouse just killing people, real-life killing people. And, yeah. and, and only got the guns from the people who were supposed to hold them mm-hmm. um, in a responsible manner, the people who were supposed to protect others from people like him. He got their guns. Yep, he sure did. This is so sad. Yep. Brian then was able to exit down the stairwell and he left through an emergency exit, which set off an alarm. Mm -hmm. And that's when Sheriff Deputy Hoyt Teasley, who was only 43 years old at the time of his death, pursued Brian. So he had just actually started work that day. He didn't hear anything over the radio as far as saying, hey, like there's been a shooting. This guy is out here killing people. He had no idea. He didn't even know that Brian was strapped when he was running after him so brazenly. Wow. So so when they get down the flights of stairs, Brian gets out to the street. He hears Deputy Holt come behind him, and he just shoots him twice in the stomach. Wow. Yep, just shoots him. On his so first sad. day. Oh. It, was, it wasn't his first day. It was his, he just got to work. I'm sorry. So he, like, just got to work that day. Oh. Didn't even, didn't even have, all didn't even have together, time, you yeah, know, like, put yeah, his stuff on right, right. to prepare exactly. himself mentally. Exactly. So. OK, you guys, so we finally got our jewelry from Ana Luisa. Period. Let, me tell you, let me tell you, we love it. I haven't gotten to wear any of it yet, but Chris is over there wearing it enough for the both of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this one pair of earrings that I have on almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it's just been a joy having the earrings. They don't feel like they're so expensive where you can't wear them on a daily basis. I wear the heck out of these and they do not tarnish. They do not fade. They do not mm-hmm. irritate my skin in any way, shape or form. Just amazing. And Eloisa, what have you done? You have put us on to something that we love. And she even wears like this necklace that she that is sexy on her. I can't even hold you. But <laughs> so if you're welcome. So if you guys want some poppin', simple, sexy jewelry for you, your woman, your mans, anybody that you're fucking with, check out Anna Luisa. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A dot com and shop using our link slash black true crime for hella discounts yes uh, they are having a sale i believe still um mm-hmm. so that's anna louisa a-n-a-l-u-i-s-a check it out dot com slash black true crime and that's for us tell her we sent you okay that's all we have to say <laughs> back to the show <laughs> 
So if you're on Patreon, you see that there was a huge response. You can actually see Cynthia Hall being wheeled out on a stretcher because she was, you know, attacked. And police didn't even know if she had been shot or not. They said when they saw her, the injury to her face, they didn't know if she'd been shot in the face or what because she was beaten so bad. Good Lord. I mean, this is a 200-something pound man, a force to be reckoned with, and he's beating on this woman. Yep. Beating on a woman. Five one. She's like the smallest, cutest little thing. So like I said, everyone's freaking out, screaming. They can hear the gunshots. But somehow, sister, the Atlanta Police Department didn't start looking for Brian until 40 minutes after he first shot the judge and Julie. So what were they doing? Chris, bitch, having lunch? Having a tea party? Like, were they trying to get, make sure the judge was okay? Were they trying to make sure Cynthia was okay? Tell me they were doing something. Kristen, from what I could research, the re- the response was hella delayed. Hella oh, delayed. Lord. Especially for this to have happened in a courthouse, you would think that there was more security, more uh, safety measures that are put in place. But, I mean, they really dropped the ball on this one. Yeah, and then it makes me think, what the heck are you training these police officers with guns <laughs> to, to be do? able to do? Correct. You know, like shoot a standing target. Like, what are you doing? Right. At 9.05 a.m., Brian was able to steal a dark SUV from a parking deck and after three bro- blocks, crashed it through the gate of another parking deck. He was able to escape both of those because police didn't block off any of these exits. So basically, this is the easiest escape that anyone has ever tried because were, it doesn't com- even seem like anyone's in his fucking way. Kayla, they were completely unprepared. Just sad. It would later turn out that five sheriff deputies would be found to have lied about their actions that day. And out of eight deputies that were fired for their misconduct, all but two were later rehired. Wow. So essentially, Brian had an incredible head start. <laughs> because of the negligence of oh, yeah. the deputies. Yeah, negligence. Mm-hmm. Except so, for Deputy Hoy. Mm-hmm. He Deputy really tried. Hoy. He really, really like was doing his job, bro. This is heartbreaking. I don't like it. Ugh. Okay. Rest in peace, Deputy Hoy. Rest, Rest in, in peace, peace, Judge Barnes. Rest, Rest in, in peace, peace, Julie. You feel me? Thank God our girl Cynthia didn't die. I want (sighs) to tell y'all that now. Thank you, Jesus. Homegirl didn't die. So he does a lot of shit in the next hour. Okay. So I'm just going to go down like the timeline and just give Mm -hmm. you guys timestamp and what happened. So at 9.07 a.m., he came across a tow truck driver named Durante Franklin and stole his truck. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pointed a gun at him, told him to get the fuck out of the car and stole it. Yep. Mm -hmm. 9.14 a.m., Brian then stole another car from a woman named Almeida Kilgo. So he okay. stole her 2004 Mercury Sable and he ordered her to stay in the car. But she was like, fuck that shit and got out. Good. <laughs> fuck that shit, sir. No take day. the car, okay? Yeah, Don't yeah. take me. Don't take my yeah. life. Mm-mm. 9.15 a.m., literally a minute later. Atlanta police command staff are notified at the Atlanta police department communications that a deputy had been shot. So this is a full 30 minutes after he'd been shot. Piss off. I'm so that the Atlanta police are just now hearing about it. Like, I don't, I don't know about that guys. I don't, I don't know. get it. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Maybe the you people are- in the courthouse didn't have access to a phone. 
But at the same time, it's 2005. Everyone has a cell phone. So and I just I'm don't thinking, know. I'm thinking that even if the people who are watching the surveillance weren't watching when Cynthia was getting her ass whooped, right. the least they could have seen was in the judge's chambers when he was holding people hostage or in the courtroom when he shot Judge Barnes, let alone the deputy being killed out front on the street. Right. It's just like where if something, if anything was put into practice to actually be a protocol for something like this, they weren't doing anything. They yeah. weren't doing any step that they were supposed to be doing. I agree. Like, they definitely need to do more drills because this reaction, like, the reaction to this shit was trash. Yeah. So, at 9, let's see, at 9.16 a.m., Brian then hijacks another car. It's a blue Kayla. Isuzu Trooper. Chris, I, have I ever? Have I ever? Heard Kayla, about Brian? somebody being went over this in his head a bajillion times and said, I'm going to still, you're not going to know what car I'm in. I can Kristen. bet on it. Kristen. <laughs> like Kristen, Kristen at nine twenty AM. He steals another motherfucking car from another parking deck, bitch. A couple more blocks down. It was a 1997 Honda Accord. And the person that owned the car said that he pistol whipped, pistol whipped him when he refused to give him the car. And then the guy just like ran away or whatever. Like you don't refuse somebody with a gun. <laughs> like if for you your car, what Brian just went through, like who <laughs> you're talking to right now. Right. You would have been like, take this mother freaking car. Kristen. And the thing that's so crazy is one of the people that he took a car from said, I think it was the woman. He told her, do you see the blood on my hands? I'm not playing with you. Bitch, I'm not playing with you. Heard. Like on like no funny shit. (laughs) It is on half a tank. You won't get far. I'm not playing with you. (laughs) Like Um, make sure you know how to drive stick, bitch. I'm gonna tell you how to operate it, (laughs) ho. I'm gonna tell you everything. Like matter of fact, no, I'm not because I don't want you to bring me with you. So (laughs) you'll figure it out. I'm gonna go. Like I like. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna say. You know what else do you need? Like I don't know. Sir, here you go. Um, It's on half a tank. I have $20 in my pocket. That's all I have. That's all I have. Just take it. She takes regular, sir. That's all you need to know. I'll find... Don't worry about me. You just go. (laughs) (laughs) And be safe. Like, get the fuck away from me. So, he... In the last 15 minutes, Brian has stolen five cars. Like you have, you have, <laughs> 15 divided by five is three every three minutes on average he was stealing a car Kristen you have he to admit this is pretty anywhere. Kristen this is pretty fucking impressive how sir how but that's what I'm saying like Brian went this Brian was way more prepared than every single deputy in that courthouse yep crazy but that's what you have you have time on your hands when you're in prison Waiting to be locked the fuck up. Wow. At around 9.30, police said they believe Nichols, which is Brian, moved unnoticed across the street through a crowd gathering for a college basketball tournament. So basically, he was able to just blend in and he escaped Mm -hmm. through the Marta subway train. Mm -hmm. And he was taken to the Linux area uh, Mm -hmm. via that train. And police lost him. They didn't know where the fuck he went for the next 13 hours, Kristen. No clue. Wow. 
He could have been gone to California by then. (laughs) Okay, bitch. That's true. And it isn't until 9.45 a.m. that the Atlanta Police Department even takes control of the crime scene, Kristen. Brian has been on the run for an hour. He has killed three people. And they're just trotting their little happy asses up to the scene. Like, what's going on, guys? And the thing that for me is like, I understand if it was somewhere like in the boonies or somewhere in a house that you've never heard of. This is a courthouse <laughs> where you're bringing criminals in each and every day. And you mean to tell me it took you that long to go and take control of the scene? The person mm-hmm. you need to take control of over is gone. Yeah, he's, he's, he's nowhere to be found. By 7 p.m., authorities announced that they are offering a $60,000 reward for information leading to Brian's arrest. Mm, mm, mm. Well, isn't that's, that's the least they could do. I was say, that's some good money, bitch. Yeah, like, I'm they, snitching. They knew, I think they royally were <laughs> messed up. They're like, we need something fast to happen. Yes. Like, if I don't know you, bitch, I'm telling on you. Who are you to me? And even if I don't know you and you're out here like willy nilly, I mean, even if I do know you and, and you're out here willy nilly killing like innocent people, mm-hmm. your ass is grass. I'm not about to hold mm-hmm. you down. I'm not. For what? What do you I do that, for me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand the snitching thing. It's like, oh, don't snitch. But bitch, like if I'm in danger, if you're putting people that don't deserve to be in danger in danger, all bets are off. Like this is mm-hmm. a, I'm not giving you that, you know? I feel like as soon as you come step to my territory in any way, shape, or form, this is a a, a violent act towards me. Yeah. Like, I'm going to speak up. Right, yeah. Right, right. Around 11 p.m., Brian tried to rob a couple at an apartment on Lenox Road, and he got into a little tussle, you know? Mm-hmm. But then he, like, ended up running away. Mm-hmm. And not even five minutes from the scene of that tussle Brian ran into 40-year-old customs enforcement agent David Wilham, who he shot and killed. Why? So I read that he happened upon David's house because David at the time was actually renovating his home. So it was empty. It was late. He was working on putting some tile down in the bathroom. And somehow Brian just came up on him. I don't know how the fuck. But he ended up shooting him, and he ended up taking his gun, his badge, and then his blue Chevy pickup truck. So, oh, it just seems like he has an agenda towards everybody that holds a badge. Well, f Kristen, you, Kristen. We're gonna get to it. Hmm. We're gonna get to it. So rest in peace, David, because rest you literally peace. you had nothing to do with this shit, and this man just was like, yeah, rest in peace. So on March twelfth, around two thirty a.m. 26-year-old Ashley Smith returned to her apartment in Duluth, Georgia, which Mm. is kind of like on the outside of Atlanta, I want to say. And that's when Brian forced his way into her home. He held her at gunpoint. This is Ashley. You can see her now. Held her at gunpoint and bound her hands and feet. And did what? (laughs) I'm going to tell you, boo. What happened next was actually a film. It was turned into a film and it's called Captive. So oh. Kate Mara, yeah, Kate Mara played Ashley Smith and then a guy named David Oyelowo played Brian. And if you're on Patreon, you can see the cover of the movie now. So long story short, he held her captive for about seven hours. 
And within that time, they talked about God and their families. He talked about his newborn son, because at this time, his son had, you know, just recently been born. Mm -hmm. And then Ashley talked about the daughter that she had. So Ashley had been dealing with some dark shit at the time of her abduction, her Mm -hmm. kidnapping. Mm -hmm. She was dealing with a drug addiction and she was really just trying to get her life together. Four years earlier, Ashley had actually lost her husband in her arms as he died from being stabbed during a bar fight. So her husband was wholetail murdered. And then four years later, she's facing a similar situation, you know? Girl. So crazy. Brian asked if she had any weed. This man loves his weed. (laughs) And she said no, but that she did have meth. So Ah! she said that. <laughs> Ashley, good I God! I told you, Ashley was on some shit, child. You were struggling, all right. You're on some shit. So Brian did two lines of the meth, which is Seriously. I'm like, whoa. He's like, I know it's downhill from here, so might as I well have something. a little meth, you know? Yeah, maybe, maybe. He then asked her to do it with him, and she refused because she's like, you know, she's really trying to like recover. And mm-hmm. instead, she decided to read the Bible with him. So, wow. if you guys want to know more about ah! the details, what? Sorry, I'm just like, if Jesus saves, if any situation for him to save, Lord save her. Yes, yes. If you want to know more information about her experience, she was able to write a book because she survived, you guys. She survived. She was able to write a book about it. That's what the movie was based on, and you can. You can read it. I'm totally freaking reading it. Like, you don't have to tell me twice. I'll tell you the title of the book at the end. I assumed it was The Captive, but okay. It's not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Brian eventually felt comfortable enough to untie her hands and feet. And the next morning, he actually allowed Ashley to leave, you guys. Apparently, she had a visitation appointment scheduled that morning with her daughter. And at around 10 a.m., he gave her some money. Kristen, he gave her money (laughs) and sent her on her way. And who is he? Like, I'm just trying to figure out. Maybe it was the Lord's. Maybe it was the Lord's. I just think there was a a tiny bit of sense in him Mm. left Mm. and including Jesus. And I think that something happened there where she got to him. Kate, Ashley, sorry. Ashley got to him. I also feel like in my mind, maybe it was because he saw her as an innocent. We'll get to Mm -hmm. it, but... I don't know. We'll get to it. So before she left, he said, hey, I'm going to stay at your place for a few days. <laughs> like, don't come back. You know, I'll I'll basically be here. So as soon as she got to the end of the street and around the corner, she called police. And within minutes, a SWAT team had arrived. But it wasn't until two hours later when Brian waved like a little white piece of fabric or whatever. <laughs> and he gave himself up. So. Wow. Brian confessed on video and detailed his crimes over a three and a half hour like statement that he gave to police without a lawyer present. So he signed mm. the waiver and everything and was just like, listen, you got me. You I'm going to tell you jail. everything. Yeah. So here or comes something got him. Right. So here comes like our understanding of why he may have done what he did. Brian told police he felt like a, quote, soldier on a mission, exacting revenge on a judicial system he feels is unfair to African-Americans. He feared he was about to go to prison for a rape that he claims he didn't commit. Now, 
you can kiss my black ass. Okay, <laughs> let me just keep going. Like, let's let's stop shooting the piss. Stop right. shooting the shits. And right. let's be honest if we're going to really be honest. Like, you showed up at a woman's house, you broke into her home, and she did not want you there, and then you sexually took advantage of her. I will fucking right. punch you in your mouth. Right. All right. He just, <laughs> like, bitch, what? Okay. Let it out. Thank you. He described how he flung Cynthia Hall into the concrete wall like a rag doll. After taking her weapon instead of escaping down nearby stairs, he ran across a sky bridge to hunt down Judge Barnes. He said Barnes was nice, but part of a larger system of injustice. Wow. He, yeah. He also killed the judge's court reporter when, like I already told you guys, she stood up to check on the judge. He said he shot the sheriff sergeant Hoyt Teasley outside the court so he could escape. And he later shot the federal agent David in Buckhead while attempting to steal his car. Mm. He also admitted holding Ashley Smith hostage in her apartment before he surrendered. So he told them everything that he did. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the first initial crime. Yes. He didn't admit to that. Correct. Brian said, quote, I was actually very impressed that they didn't shoot me when I walked out the door. Which, bitch, also I was too. Me too. Me three. At least they would have whooped his ass. Like, like he's a, he's attacked multiple like government officials. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We know how they protect their own. Right. Okay. So according to one of the interviewing officers, quote, he was very upfront and very detailed and meticulous in telling me what happened. It was one of the easiest interviews I have ever done. Wow. Also, they mentioned that he had no remorse when talking about the arrest. I mean, when talking about the crimes, which who the fuck is surprised? Not no, I. Nobody. <laughs> he said he's on a mission. Like, why would he have remorse for something he knew he was meant to do almost? Exactly. Only two days after being rearrested, Brian would find himself back in a courtroom. On May 5th, 2005, a Fulton County grand jury indicted Brian on 54 accounts, including four accounts of felony murder. Like that, he's going down, bitch. Like and he's the, getting death. Oh yeah, the DA made it clear that they're seeking the death penalty for sure. Yeah. In addition to the felony murder charges, Brian was charged with three counts of aggravated assault on a police officer, 18 counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, two counts of aggravated battery, seven counts of kidnapping and kidnapping with bodily injury, seven counts of armed robbery, and five counts of robbery by force, theft by taking, escape, and hijacking a motor vehicle. All of that. He did all of that. 54 counts. And he pled not guilty to all of them. Based off of, on, on what grounds? <laughs> Kristen, you know how they do. They like to act like they, we'll get to it, bitch. We'll get I'm about to say, who is the defense on this one? We'll get to it. On March 25th, 2005, Ashley Smith received about $142,000 in reward money for helping Nichols get captured. Wow. Good for her. And on September 27th of that same year, Ashley wrote a book I was telling you guys about, and it's called Unlikely Angel. I'm sure you guys can go and grab that, or you can just watch the movie. Probably similar. Brian's new trial would take place in the same courthouse he committed his murders in. Wow. Which is crazy. The irony. Mm -hmm. 
And there was initially a delay in the start of the trial because of lack of state funding for the defense's side. Because remember, usually when they commit a crime, when they're already in police custody, it's like a different type of funding that's required. I don't think they just get a a public defender or I'm not really sure about the, the details about that, but I do know we've run into that type of issue on the show before. Mm-hmm. So they had issues getting the defense funded. Plus the presiding judge had to step down due to accusations of him being biased. So no, <laughs> like every judge in Atlanta is going to feel a type of way. Yeah. Uh, anybody who knew judge Barnes is going to feel a type of way. Yeah. And I think maybe they were just calling, calling him on his personal connection to judge Barnes. Yeah. You know, but I understand it. I understand it. So the trial didn't start until 2008. 2008. I'm cracking up. <laughs> okay. You said it so Sorry. hard. Chris is so confident. <laughs> so confident. Okay. Whatever. I'm keeping it in too. The trial doesn't start until 2008. And that's when Brian decides to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Hmm. Don't we okay. just love an insanity plea? Mm-hmm. I knew this was coming though. After he showed 160,000 times over that he's completely that in he's his right mind. Very much sane. He should have just said reason of PTSD, like something. something. But you are not insane. We all know that. Something, girl. A jury of eight women and four men, which the breakdown goes six. It was six black females. Whoa. Oh. Okay. Two white, two white females, two black males, one white male and one Asian male. So that was the jury that was selected. Okay. And on September 22nd, opening statements began. The trial only lasted for about a month and a half. And on November 7th, 2008, after 12 hours of deliberation, a jury found Brian guilty on all 54 counts. Thank God. Easy. And they also rejected the defense attorney's stance that, oh, he was not in his right mind. He was suffering from a mental illness. They really tried to say, like, he had a mental illness at the time of his trial. When we all can clearly see this man was plotting this shit, planning this shit, people close to him have already admitted that. I just don't understand why defense attorneys embarrass themselves in this way, bitch. It doesn't even make sense. As I said, I would love to see who tried to defend this case. Right. I'm still racking my head on why, like, why not leave Georgia as fast as you possibly can? There is something that's way more calculated. It's like he wasn't trying to escape. I don't know because he didn't have any money, bitch. He didn't really have a way to like get to where he needed to be. I guess maybe he was going to hide out at Ashley's house to kind of figure it out, give himself some more time. But from what he was doing, killing people, going on a rampage, you know, stealing hella cars and even trying to hide. I feel like he was really attempting to get away. He just didn't really think as far as, okay, how the fuck am I going to get out of Georgia with no money? You know, I feel like in that moment, in that apartment, something changed his mind. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. trying to see. Like, I feel like yeah. something changed his mind. Definitely. In Ashley's interviews, she's clearly said that she feels like Jesus took over his body. And at some point, because she's like, I knew it wasn't like that evil, that evil energy, you know, like that mm-hmm. mad, angry man anymore. And it, she just felt it's like a sense of peace. Wow. You guys should definitely listen to her. She went on Oprah's show. We're kind of going to get into that actually in a little bit. So 
On December 13th, 2008, Brian was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole because the jury could not make a decision about the death penalty. So they were deadlocked and it was just like, all right, he's just going to get life, Mm. which I'm sure I'm really sure his, his family was happy about because his family was still close to him. Mm -hmm. In 2003, his parents moved to Africa. They like not really retired necessarily, but they moved to Africa and that's where they stayed until they heard about everything that Brian was going through. And they came back to the States and actually in 2015, so like 10 years after everything happened, Brian's mom ended up going on kind of like a press tour and, you know, she was on the Oprah show. So she went on Oprah and she met Ashley and they hugged and they had like this whole little moment. You can catch it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And she also went on ABC News. So I'm going to play a clip for you guys from her ABC News interview because you can see that she's very supportive of her son still and doesn't in her heart think that this is who he is. Very grateful for the way that Ashley treated him. But it also gave him an opportunity to go back and reflect on what he had done and also to consider the impact of his actions on the victim's families, for which he was extremely sorry. Brian was active in the church. He had an excellent job. He lived in a very upscale community. It's something that none of us would have expected. And Brian, when he looks back on it, can't believe that he did it. We had so much hope and promise with Brian, and to have his life go in this direction has been just absolutely devastating. That's insane. And that's so sad for a mom to see her baby boy, see the good in him, and then see the bad completely take over in that moment. That is so heartbreaking. Absolutely. Even his dad, in that video that you guys saw, if you're on Patreon, he started crying in the background. It was a part that I edited out, but they were just like, it's just still hard. It's heartbreaking. They had so high hopes for their son. And then she went on Oprah, I think in the same year, and said, quote, On the morning of the incident, all the prisoners were brought down in the big bus. Everybody was shackled and chained, and he said he just had visions of slavery, where Mm. the slaves were chained together. They were put into a holding cell, and there were so many people that that he said their noses were actually up against the door. A fight broke out, and a guard came in and sprayed pepper spray on everyone. I think that was the final straw that just made him go off. I think he snapped. It just seemed so ridiculous and so out of character with Brian, but I knew something was happening to him. He was unraveling. He had made the comment that he feels that there were demons possessing him, that Mm. there were demons inside of him, end quote. Mm. So maybe that's true. Maybe that's just a mom trying to give her son an out as far as like an insanity, you know, plea to say that old demons were in his mind and stuff like that. But I can understand how he may have been like, this isn't the life for me, but yeah. you maybe you should have fucking thought about that before you decided to take so many people's lives. Maybe you should have thought about that when you were sexually violating a woman that did that not part. give you permission to be in her home. He was charged with hella charges attached to that. So it's like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to give you a pass because you saw some people in chains. Don't bring up slavery as a way to excuse your shitty ass behavior. And the thing is, like, even if that's how he really felt in that moment, he did snap, although he's had moments before where he has lost his mind. So we're not giving excuse, even if that's what he saw in that moment. And that's how he chose to react. It's still not okay. 
Like, right. yes, we went through some stuff in our history. It's shit. But that doesn't mean you can go and kill people. Like, no, Kristen. You just can't do that. It's not a mitigating it. factor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So later that same year in 2015, Brian actually did an interview himself. And it's not, I don't have any clips as far as like what he was looking mm-hmm. like, but I do have audio. So he okay. was asked during this I- interview about how he felt about what he did that day. He was asked if he blames smoking weed for his behavior. And he was even asked about whether or not he would have killed the prosecutor as well if she was actually in the courtroom. So let's mm. listen to what he had to say. I definitely deserve to be exactly where I am. I did some, some very bad things they did behind me because of lies were law. And so I totally understand that. I don't even think sorry expresses or, 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 the, or the right word for the way that I feel. I don't know what I could actually say to you know, express my apologies. Words sometimes are not enough. It's kind of difficult to even imagine the type of law that has occurred because of the things that I did. I, I sit around and, and I wonder, you know, how did I end up in this place? I fell out of love with myself, with life. I'm absolutely mortified that, you know, I took a lot. I mourn for them, um, and I mourn for myself. Um, I mourn for my family. I see myself um, on that day. That delusional person was... Um, unfortunately, I'm a monster by any definition. I'm just glad that I'm not answering the question about why I hurt someone else. I can't do anything to change the past, and so the only thing I can do is try to be a better person. Sometimes hurt people hurt people. I definitely think that it played a, a factor in my development, in my brain chemistry. Yeah, nobody smoked more weed than I did. Marijuana ruined my life. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just hearing a whole bunch of excuses i don't have time for sounds like a lot of hoopla. hoopla even him admitting to what he did and saying that you know i did horrible things i was a monster it still sounds like piss off like yeah. it sounds like a fly in your freaking ear like uh, like you just want to just smack it because it doesn't like you're just talking that hot shit oh yes like i understand that a lot it's very possible for people to shit learn from their mistakes and feel sure. really guilty about it and stuff but from sure. what i was listening to i feel like he's just saying what he thinks that we want to hear and he doesn't really give a fuck i feel like he's in corporate having a meeting with us like literally <laughs> like just so bland so la- so void of emotion it seems like he was rehearsing the speech if he ever does get the chance to go to the parole board like that's stuff that i feel like he would be telling them type of heck thing. yeah all of that there was like six different rehearsed lines that he probably Absolutely. found on google on the phone he snuck in like i'm just <laughs> over it and i want to address that when brian entered the courtroom right there were a bunch of witnesses and the witnesses said that they felt like he was looking for the prosecutor because he was looking in that way for the prosecutor and she wasn't there but he was also looking for his ex-girlfriend Kristen the victim that was scheduled to testify against him that day. But fortunately, oh both women were late to court. Like it wasn't, I guess he showed up too early because, yeah. the, you know, the judge was still yeah. dealing with something else. So they weren't even in there at the time, but they did say that he opened like a side door where the victim would have been to see if she was in there, bro. So that's what I'm saying. Like I'm not listening to anything you're talking about, bitch. 
you didn't want to go to jail and you were trying to take out people that are trying to send you to jail. Like I'm not, it's just, it's disgusting. It's which makes no sense because you were going to go to jail when you took those people out and you were going to go to jail even longer. Well, clearly he didn't plan to, he was going to escape, bitch. Escape. (laughs) (laughs) So as of right now, Brian is looking hella gross. He's balding and he's 51 living in Georgia in a Georgia prison. And I can only pray that he's really learned from his mistakes because at the end of the day, like we've done, we're done with you. Society's over you. Now you have to go meet your maker and explain to him what the heck you had going on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Good luck. Good luck. And that's our case for this week, you guys. Wow. RIP David Wilcom. RIP Julie. Mm -hmm. RIP Hoyt. And R.I.P. Judge Barnes. Rest in peace. Just so sad. So super, super crazy case. What did you guys think about this? Were you in Atlanta around this time? Do you remember anything crazy going on? Do you think that he deserves a death penalty? What do you think? Oh, this is so nuts. Completely nuts. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Happy New Year again. This is our first episode of the new year. I'm hella Mm -hmm. excited about that. Mm -hmm. If you love our show, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. It helps us so, so much and gets the word out about the show. And yeah, buy some merch if you feel like you fuck with us. I want to rock it. (laughs) Period. (laughs) All right. Before we go, you already know. Be safe. Be safe. Protect, protect your, your peace. And protect, and protect your, space. your space. So we don't have to cover your case. Baby. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.